0: Today we continue our story of Easter in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 21, are you a person who loves the center of the brownie or are you one who loves the edges of the brownie? If you're one of those who loves the crispiness of the edge of the brownie, then you might understand why we often don't read much of the middle of the Easter story. If you're one who loves the middle of the brownie because it doesn't have any crispiness and it's all gooey, you might wonder, why don't we spend more time in the middle of the Easter story? All of us know the beginning. We talked about it last week, how Jesus came into Jerusalem. And also, we have you know the end of the story, Jesus' crucifixion, His resurrection. But the middle of the story, we often forget In fact, it's amazing to me that in the Gospel of Matthew, he spends 3% with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And at the end of the story that we know so well, only about 14% of the story. But the days Tuesday, excuse me, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are 60% of the story. Yet we know little about it. So this morning, we are going to learn more about it but not just to learn more about it so we know the story better. These are people who are in uncertain times, as we are today. We are living in times that are unprecedented in our lifetime. We are living in times that are uncertain, so we need to know how to respond in them. The people in Jesus' day at this time also lived in a time that was uncertain. It was on Monday that Jesus came back into Jerusalem. Not this time on a donkey, not this time riding in as king, but this time walking in with his disciples to come to the temple, to the house of prayer. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Imagine Jesus walking into the temple court. And when He's there, what He finds is people changing money. The worshipers who came to the temple had to give money that was worthy of the temple treasury. So they had to change the Roman and Greek coins into appropriate coinage. Also, they had to bring sacrifices. It was hard to travel all those miles bringing animals to sacrifice. So when they got to the temple, they would buy them there. Also, what Jesus saw were people using this court where people were to be worshiping God as a shortcut through the city of Jerusalem. So when Jesus sees people who are selling, people who are changing money, people who are carrying things through the courtyard. He is angry. This is to be a house of prayer. It's to be a place where people come to worship God. But now it is a place of commerce, a place of cheating. He calls it a den of thieves. Jesus there then comes and he takes the tables, he turns them over, he takes the people out and cleans them out and clears them out so that He can once again establish this temple, this house, as a place of prayer. Jesus does this as He quotes from Isaiah that this place is to be a house of prayer. But the people had made it a den of thieves. But it wasn't just this that we are very familiar with, but also on this day Jesus curses a fig tree. Now, why would Jesus do that? It's because this tree was symbolic of the religion of the people, especially the religious leaders of his day. He found a fig tree. It had leaves growing on it, but there was no fruit on it. He cursed it. His disciples saw it, and they were amazed. Jesus was using this opportunity to continue to teach them about the religion of the religious leaders and many of the Jews of his day. Their religion was one that was focused on ritual. It was a religion that was focused on those animals they were selling. It was focused on making sure the money was the right kind that was put into the temple treasury. It was a religion that had forgotten that worship was to take place in the temple, and that worship was to be communing with God, being close to God, praying to God, talking to God, hearing from God, singing to God, praising God. But their religion had turned into something completely different. In fact, there in the temple where the Gentiles were to be worshiping, that's where the animals and the commerce and the traffic was. How could the nations come and worship God? How could people commune with God when their religion had turned in to commerce and ritual and making sure everything was done according to a plan? Jesus reminded His disciples when they saw the tree and how it had died quickly and they marveled, He refocused their attention to what worship is all about. It's about prayer. And this is what Jesus said to them. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. What a statement by our Lord that if we believe, we can ask for anything, even for a mountain to be moved and thrown into the sea. That is what Jesus is telling us our worship is about. It's prayer. It's belief. It's having belief in God that He can do the impossible. It's having belief in God that He will give us whatever we ask. In other places in Scripture, we have some uh, reasons as we pray that not every single thing we ask for will be given to us. It must be prayed according to God's will. It must be prayed with the right motive. But Jesus' point here is that worship is about communing with Him, talking, praying, a relationship with Him. And so in these uncertain times, we need to remember that more than ever. Often our own religion becomes one of habit. It becomes one of doing things the right way. It becomes doing it by the right method. It becomes something that we just do because we've always done it. And we forget that worship is about coming to God, praying to Him, talking to Him, praising Him, listening to Him, obeying Him, doing His work. Communing with God. Now, as we will not be together, as now we will be at home, as everything we're used to about worship, coming to a church building and passing an offering plate and singing hymns or looking at a screen, these things that we're so used to doing, we will not be doing anymore. For a short time, I hope. But as that time happens, it means it's not time to stop worshiping God, communing with Him. It's a time to remember what it's all about. And so I challenge you to do that in this unusual time. Commune with God as you worship Him. And do it on a daily basis. Especially while we are apart. Well, Tuesday came. And Tuesday was a day that was even crazier than Monday. On Tuesday there were lots of questions... Now, if you have a five-year-old, you know what questions are about. Daddy, why is the sky blue? Mommy, why are food made grow that way? One of my favorite cartoon characters is Sniffle the Mouse. I don't know if you've ever heard him, seen any of his cartoons, but one of the things that makes him so adorable, he's so annoying. And when he asks questions, he asks them like this. Why is the sky blue? Why isn't the sky green? If the sky could be green, then it would look like the grass. and Then you wouldn't be able to tell the grass from the sky. Why isn't the sky black? If the sky was black, you wouldn't know if it was daytime or whether it was nighttime. He just goes on and on and on asking questions in an annoying way. Questions can be annoying. And questions can also hurt in a skeptical and shameful way. Uh, Someone might ask you, are you really going to have another piece of cake? What kind of question is that? Uh, What they're really saying is, you don't need another piece of cake. You've already had too much. Or someone might ask you, are you getting another roll of toilet paper? (laughs) Do you really need that? Again, they're asking you, really, you're panicking and you're really kind of crazy is maybe what they're telling you. These questions on this Tuesday were questions between Jesus and the religious leaders. And Jesus asked them questions as they first asked him. And the first question was, by what authority was he coming into the temple and and cleaning it out and declaring it really his own in a house of prayer? Who gave him that authority? Jesus countered with his own question about the authority of John the Baptist. Jesus didn't answer theirs. They didn't answer his. And it became a verbal sparring match where the religious leaders asked questions about money, about whether they could pay taxes to Caesar. And they asked questions about the resurrection. They asked questions about what is the greatest commandment. Jesus answered each question, showing His authority, trapping them and tricking them, I guess, as they were trying to trap and trick Him. He got the best of them each and every time. He added to their questions parables that taught them about their religion and how hollow it was. He even condemned the Pharisees and rebuked them for their hypocrisy. This was the questioning, the conversation that went on that Tuesday there in the temple. Eventually, this is what Matthew says, the Pharisees had been beaten and It says, no one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to ask questions of him anymore. The crowd was loving it. They had never seen their religious leaders come at someone with so many questions that seemed so difficult. And then Jesus answered them and showed who was really in control. Mark 12, 37 says, the large crowd was delighting. Excuse me, the large crowd was listening to Him with delight. This was the questioning of Jesus that Tuesday. But also Jesus afterwards went and taught His disciples. As they looked at the temple and as they looked at how magnificent it was, Jesus told them that these stones were going to come down. This magnificent temple wasn't going to stand forever. Jesus then taught them about how this religion, this temple, this hypocrisy, this thing that the Pharisees had created was going to crumble to the ground. And Jesus went on to tell them more about even farther into the future. As he told them these things, Jesus was telling them that God is in control of the future. God knows what is going to happen. Nothing takes him by surprise. And so it's interesting that what Jesus is teaching them and is teaching us is that when times are uncertain, what we need to do is to trust him that he knows what he's doing. Just a couple of verses in this, all of these verses about that day of questioning and going back and forth and Jesus' teaching about the future are just a couple of verses about a widow. A widow who we read here in Luke 21 does this. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. This is the point. In the midst of the, the Pharisees questioning, skeptical of who Jesus was, In the midst of the disciples looking at all of this pomp and circumstance and being impressed by it, but Jesus says it's all coming down. In the midst of all of this was one widow who truly knew what it was to be close to God, to worship God, and to trust Him in uncertain times. If you are putting in everything that you have, You can't be trusting God any more than that. That that morning she went to the, the temple to put in her gift, two coins. Before she went, she had two coins that maybe she could have done something with, maybe bought some food or traded it for something or bought something she could have bartered with. But when she left, she had nothing. That was complete trust that God was going to supply and that God was going to meet her needs. So it's true for us, too, in in uncertain times. We have to trust God, that He knows what He's doing. It's not wrong to question God. Uh, We have questions for Him all the time. But when our questions become skeptical, and when our questions drive us from God, and when our questions make us reject God, that's when they're wrong when we don't know the answer to what's happening, when we don't know the answer to why, as we don't know now. We don't know why God's allowed this virus. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know how it's going to change our lives now. We don't know how it's going to change our lives for the future. We don't know that. But God does. And God, like He told the disciples, is telling us He's got the future. He knows how it's going to end. He's in control. He's asking us to trust Him like that widow did. Trust Him. He knows what He's doing. Well, that's a lot for a Monday and a Tuesday. And we come to Wednesday. This is the turning point of the week. But also, this is the most tragic day of the week. Save the actual crucifixion. This is the day where we read in Matthew 21, Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out thirty pieces of silver for him. And from that time he started looking for good opportunity to betray him. Here on Wednesday, this is where we have Judas who comes. And Judas, who for whatever reason, which we don't know, decided it was time for him to turn Christ over to the authorities. We don't know why. The Scripture doesn't tell us. It's one of those questions we'll never know the answer to here on this earth? Did Judas feel as though Jesus wasn't doing what he wanted? Did he want to force Jesus' hand to do something different than what Judas saw was happening? We don't know why he did it. And it's also hard to understand how God, who had a plan, used Judas and his betrayal to bring about that plan. And how Judas, who didn't have to do this, did it Anyway, and how those all work together, but this is what we do know that this is what turned the plan of God for the rest of the week. You see, the, the Pharisees wanted to wait until after the Passover, because they didn't want to start a riot. They didn't want the people to uh, riot and cause a commotion. They wanted to wait. But God said, no, now is the time. Now is the time. For the Son of Man to be lifted up. Now was the time for the Lamb of God to be slain. Now was the time for the Son of Man to die on the cross. In uncertain times, we must be even more faithful. Think about this the opposite of betrayal is faithfulness. Judas betrayed the Lord. None of us identify with him. <laughs> None of us would want to betray our Lord. None of us would want to do that, ever decide to do that, ever wish to do that. But isn't it true that often when we are selfish, isn't that a betrayal of our Lord and and how He commands us to live our life? When we sin and we have no worry about it, isn't that a betrayal of the Lord who calls us to righteous living? I believe there's times in our life when we are betraying our Lord, although not in the sense that Judas did. And when times aren't certain like they are now, we're going to be tempted to put our faith on hold. We're going to be tempted not to, to be in our, the Bibles and not to be with each other because we're not allowed to be. And many of us will be tempted just to say, you know what, when things get back to normal, then I'll be back in church with my brothers and sisters. That's when I'll then pray, that's when I'll read my Bible, that's when i worry about my relationship with God until then I'm just going to sit at home and I'm going to watch Netflix that's what I'm going to do until then but now more than ever is when we need to be faithful to our Lord it may be in ways we've never done it before so pray and ask God to show you how you can grow closer to Him and how you can serve others and how you can reach out to them in times that are uncertain and unprecedented. But do not betray our Lord in this time by putting our faith on hold. This week of Christ's passion, this holy week from Sunday where Jesus went into Jerusalem on a donkey until Sunday when the news spread all over through Jerusalem that Jesus is alive. This wonderful story, the greatest story has this part in the middle. A, two, a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday. Where Jesus shows us that true religion is belief and prayer and communion with Him. Where we learn to trust in God because He knows what He's doing and the future is His. And it's a reminder that we are to be faithful to the Lord because He has been faithful to us, This week, as you pray, as you meditate, as you think about how you are going to live your life in these uncertain times, keep those truths in mind. And may they allow you to grow even closer to God in a time when it seems like the whole world has gone crazy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you have been faithful to us. And we are thankful, Lord, that you have shown us how you want us to live our lives before you. You want us to, in our worship, be close to you in prayer. You want us to be close to you in in listening through your word. You want us to be close to you in obedience and righteousness. Lord, you want us to trust you. Especially when things are uncertain and we don't know the future and we can't see how things are going to work out. And Lord, you ask us to be faithful. For you have been faithful to us. I pray for myself, my brothers and sisters, especially in this week to come. That Lord, as we are in circumstances unlike we've ever been. I pray, Lord, that we would look to you. That you would give us peace. That you would give us comfort. You would give us direction. Lord, you would... Let us know that your presence is with us and you will never leave us nor forsake us and our future with you is bright. And I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.